morning, good morning. Brand spanking new one there from American Aquarium. The luckier you get kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here with you. Thank you so much for tuning in today, spending a part of your week with me. I do appreciate it. And you know there's no place I'd rather be than right here talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. Man, <laughs> I was actually supposed to be in South Africa last week uh, hunting Cape Buffalo, but the world lost its mind. <laughs> so uh, the wife and I decided, well, Aaron had two weeks off of work, right? So what were we going to do with all that free time? Uh, we went back to Galveston for the third trip of the summer. Looked at going to Colorado. Henry really wanted to go hiking in the mountains. That's what he kept telling me. But um, looking at Colorado and New Mexico, I remember going to, uh, speaking of New Mexico, going to White Sands and Alamogordo Military Base and Carlsbad Caverns when I was probably, I don't know, fifth grade or so. My parents took uh, our entire family, all four kids. And that was one of my favorite road trips of all time. But Carlsbad Caverns is pretty much closed. You can't watch the bat flight. Um, and then, you know, looking at Colorado, a bunch of parks closed. Where are you going to camp? What are you going to do? What restaurants aren't open? So we just figured the safe play was back to the beach, which the kids never tire of anyway. And uh, it makes them smile, so that makes me smile. Uh, but after the beach, we went over to Three Rivers, Texas, to the Rebel Ranch. And spent a couple days hunting with the uh, Clark family over there. Shot a nice Axis buck. And uh, I think we'll get into that more on next week's show. But, man, I love hunting Axis deer in the rut, which is going on right now. Truly one of the great things about living in Texas is we uh, get to experience a whole other species. And their breeding cycle taking place in you know a time of the year when nothing else is really going on. And it's so cool, too, because much like uh, an elk, um, they have a very distinct, you can call it a roar. Uh, it sounds more like a high-pitched whistle than anything else, but the bucks, uh, that's they get all fired up and start making that sound throughout the rut, and uh, it's just truly awesome. And then, of course, the table fare. It's every bit as good as elk. Definitely better than whitetail deer, no doubt about that. And I love whitetail. That's no slight on... Uh, on whitetail, but Axis deer is just phenomenal. Uh, but more on that next week. Here's what we've got going on today. Let me tell you about it. Pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we're ready to rock and roll. And off the top, a fascinating topic to get into with Mike Bodenchuk, director of uh, Texas Wildlife Services. I recently was sent, uh, I think it was via Instagram, but one of our followers lost some dogs after coming into contact with a feral hog and they experienced symptoms that were consistent with rabies like foaming at the mouth convulsions except for they were dead within like 36 hours and i honestly didn't know what to tell the guy i'd never heard of anything like that so did a little research come to find out feral hogs carry a virus known as pseudo rabies, which will kill certain animals that uh, come into contact with those infected hogs. There is a lot more information out there on pseudo rabies and uh, its transmission, how it essentially kills 
the uh, infected canine. It could be a feline. Uh, probably some other animals as well that would be, you know, a sure death sentence if they were to contract it. But it doesn't kill the hogs. Uh, so we'll get into this interesting disease that I had no idea existed. Pseudorabies coming up with Mike here in a minute. Then at the bottom of the hour, we will spend a good chunk of time with one of the most charismatic fellas in the outdoor industry, uh, one of my favorite personalities, and a good friend. Fred Eichler makes his return. And you know, Fred's list of accomplishments speak for themselves. The first hunter to take all 29 North American big game species with a recurve, um, accomplishing that super slam back in 2009. And, and today, we're going to focus on something totally different. Uh, one of Fred's other passions is predator hunting. So uh, we're going to run the gambit on all things. Um, setups, calling sequences, behavior uh, from some of those common predators, coyotes, bobcats, all that good stuff coming up with Fred here in just a little bit. So that's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a damn good one. Guarantee you that. Let's take uh, let's take a moment here. Do a quick giveaway. I've got a Lone Star Ag Credit prize pack today. A backpack, shotgun sleeve, camo cap, and there's a, a portable water bowl for your retriever in there as well. One that folds up. So uh, pretty cool for being on the road. Bell loves hers. But uh, yeah, to enter to win today's Lone Star Ag Credit giveaway. Just email the word, let's just say coyote, because we're going to be talking coyotes, about coyote to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com, and we will get you entered into this week's giveaway. Let's take a quick break. Up next, Mike Bodenchuk, Director of Texas Wildlife Services, jumps on to talk about pseudo rabies in feral hogs. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Among the British Columbia is world-renowned for its beauty and wildlife, and Vancouver Island is revered as a magical place by hunters. Vancouver Island Coastal Bear Adventures specializes in taking mature trophy black bears with 18-inch minimum skulls in the 65 to seven and a half year range. They also have Roosevelt elk tags and only take Boone and Crockett bulls each fall. 60% of their guiding area is located on private land. So whether you're looking for a Boone or black bear, once in a lifetime Roosevelt elk or a giant cougar, they've got the hunt for you. Visit VancouverIslandBearHunt.com to book your hunt today. That's VancouverIslandBearHunt.com. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com today. Here comes another song about Mexico. Well, I just can't help myself. I lost my old lady. 
Bobbers got my bobbers, now I'm gonna go Got off in the wrong direction Found a hooker and lost my erection So I had to lie Well, that one goes back a ways. That is Mexico, the refreshments. Probably mid-90s, I want to say. Uh, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here with you. Thanks for dropping by. I do appreciate it. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. Um, we're about to get into a very interesting topic on pseudo rabies in feral hogs. What that means for other species that come into contact with those hogs. Uh, we'll do that with Texas Wildlife Services Director Mike Bodenchuk. But before we jump into that conversation, this segment proudly brought to you by Vortex Optics and the Fury. HD range finding binocular. I've got one of these bad boys. Absolutely love it. And why wouldn't I? Combining a rangefinder and a bino into one. Yeah, if you're a minimalist, you got to check it out. It's the best of both worlds. It's the Fury HD range finding binocular. You can find it at vortexoptics.com. All right. Uh, well, let's talk some feral hogs. And joining us now from Texas Wildlife Services. It's my pleasure to welcome Mike Bodenchuk back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It is my pleasure. Uh, so we've got a very interesting topic to get into today, one that uh, I recently became aware of through some hog doggers, like I was telling you off the air, who had their dogs come into contact with feral hog. Uh, I guess they bit the hog, got somehow ingested you know, some of its blood. It's a, a pretty uh, close quarters type of sport, and the the dogs got sick, started foaming at the mouth, uh, seizing, and eventually died. And come to find out, this is a thing called pseudo-rabies, and I'm going to let you uh, talk a little bit about what exactly that is. So it, it's important to note that pseudo-rabies is the name. It is not a rabies virus. The veterinary term for that is Ajewski's disease. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why we call it pseudo-rabia. That's hard to pronounce. <laughs> um, the, the symptoms are similar to rabies in, in non-pig animals. So animals that are susceptible to it, like dogs and cats and horses can be, they, they do develop rabies-like symptoms. It does affect the central nervous system, and, and so it, it, uh, it, it it's, no misnomer or pseudo rabies the name of it is is designed from the symptoms that occur it is a virus uh-huh. it's a, a virus in the herpes virus family so like other herpes virus once a pig comes in contact with it it doesn't kill the pig then the pig actually has the virus for the rest of its life hmm. okay. now viruses are 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 like uh, influenza viruses that you and I might get. When the pig is exposed to the virus, it, it will incubate that virus for a few days, and then it, it starts shedding the virus itself. And just like us, they feel bad, they run a fever, they might wallow in water, they isolate themselves. And, and pigs with the virus um, that are shedding that virus will infect other pigs. 
but they build up antibodies to that virus. And so they're only shedding virus for 10 days to two weeks, and then all of a sudden the virus level goes down in their body. They're no longer shedding it. Hmm. What we've seen in the feral pigs that we've been doing surveillance with is that that uh, it, it will run through a population about every two years. You'll see this spike in, in pseudo-rabies cases, and, and then it, it kind of dies off, and there's, there's a, um, a lower prevalence, if you will, in the pigs. So a dog that comes in contact with pigs might do it for years without ever coming in contact with one that's actually shedding the virus. Huh. But when they get to one that's shedding the virus, they'll catch the disease, and it is fatal in dogs. Wow. Okay, so there's no vaccine, nothing that can be done. Um, how common is it? You said it will run its course in a population every two years. So obviously that seems like it's a very common thing that most people are just unaware of. How are they originally infected? Like when a pig population, you know, that, that resident population has had the virus come through, they've all come out on the other side, you know, they don't show any symptoms. How is it introduced back into that population? Well, that, that's actually an interesting part of it. As a herpes virus, a pig still has that virus in its body, but its, it's, its antibody levels are high enough that it keeps it suppressed. Mm -hmm. But if a pig with the virus in its body gets stressed, then they can become reinfective. Usually they'll shed that second period or that third period. They'll only shed for a few days because they already started with some antibodies. Mm. But, but they still have it. So it's, it's a reservoir out there. And there are a number of stressors. A female actually having a litter can be a stressor. Environmental stressors like drought can, can actually make the virus uh, reinfect a population trapping pigs and then releasing them, hauling pigs around the landscape or introductions from other populations can actually, you're, you're taking a pig that's, that's got the virus in its body and stressing it. And so those are all stressors that can cause pigs to become reinfective. Hmm. And so how is it transmitted? Uh, is it through saliva, breeding? Um, how do they, how do they, how does it jump from one individual to the, the other? The virus is, would be found in any fluids. Uh, so blood would have it, saliva would have it, but they can also breathe virus particles out. From pig to pig, it can actually be spread. Even environmentally, there was one case in domestic swine years ago where the virus actually floated on fog particles to infect an adjacent uh, facility. So... So it, it, it is an environmentally resistant virus. It can move across the landscape, but most of the time it's nose-to-nose -nose contact. Okay. So, I mean, rooting around, <laughs> looking for grubs, destroying a farmer's corn crop, whatever the case. Uh, yeah, if another pig puts its nose on the soil there, there's a chance that they'll get it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. Um, other than canines, you mentioned something off the air I found to be interesting. And that was Florida panthers preying on feral hogs becoming infected and dying. Sure. So, so the, the disease is fatal to all members of the cat family. And in Florida, they've had radio-collared Florida panthers that 
that died, and they got in there quickly enough to collect some samples to find out what it was, what it died from, and it's from the pseudorabies virus. Hmm. There have been other panthers that have died under similar circumstances, no trauma, no, no poaching, no nothing, that probably also died, but we know that it kills cats. And so Florida panthers being highly endangered, you know, that's a real risk for those cats down there. But pigs are also a major food source for them, so, so it's a... It's a no-win situation for the managers. They have to decide whether they get rid of the pigs to get rid of the disease and then run out of food or leave the pigs on the landscape and end up losing some. Hmm. Yeah, it's a catch-22. But you think about it yeah. being an invasive species, and you can just look around anywhere. And, you know, Texas is the same thing, but an invasive species like that has become such a, well, permanent part of the food chain to get rid of them now, it might be counterproductive. Who knows? Yeah, in Texas, we, we see a lot of pseudo-rabies. You know, we've had certain populations of pigs that had as high as 46% hmm. prevalence of antibodies. Um, as you go west, they, they don't have it as much. California doesn't have as much. But if they got pseudo-rabies out there, their mountain lion population would probably be showing some of it as well. And, and feral hogs in Texas specifically don't seem to have a lot of natural predators, maybe... Well, I was just on an Oasis River last week down by Choke Canyon. Clearly, alligators feed on them there. Um, but by and large, we don't have a ton of mountain lions. Coyotes really don't seem to prey on adult pigs. Um, so does this affect coyotes very often? Yeah, it would affect coyotes. But in pigs, it causes pregnant females to abort their litter. And it will kill piglets under three weeks of age. Huh. Okay. So, so the kind of pigs that a coyote's going to eat is not likely to have the disease because it's a small young pig and it's still alive. Yeah, you know, so you don't see the issue in 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 predators that you might expect because the ones the ones that coyotes are getting are those young pigs that should die from it if mm-hmm. if they were exposed. Okay. Yeah, it, it is odd. I mean, feral hogs pretty much get a free pass in Texas. <laughs> it's not uh, not a lot of things out there eating them. But that's interesting that it kills piglets under the age of three weeks. So You know, it, it does not regulate populations. If a female aborts or she loses her litter to pseudorabies, she comes right back into heat and recycles. So all it really does is kick about three extra months into <laughs> the breeding cycle. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It's not a population regulator by any means. Uh huh. No, clearly, clearly, all I have to do is go to my deer lease, and that becomes very evident. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, what is the long-term prognosis? Is it becoming, would you say, more of an issue, or kind of trending on a plateau? Um, I'm interested to know if this is something that will get worse over time or if it's just kind of always been here and uh, people just are not aware of it by and large? It, it, people are not aware of it by and large. And, and uh, hunters, especially with outdoor dogs, and it's not just hog dogs. Hog dogs are, you know, absolutely coming nose to nose with pigs. But also bird dogs. And we've had bird dogs, quail dogs, that, that run into a thicket with pigs there and end up coming down with the disease and, and it kills them as well. Hmm. We don't see it being a, a a huge problem every year. Somebody loses dogs, and and 
often with hog dogs, they don't understand, you know, what killed them. And so they, it goes unreported or unverified by a lab test. But every year we learn of lab tests of positive cases. Um, and as more people hunt pigs with dogs, it, it will have more cases of it, I'm sure. Um, it's, it's a matter of, of getting the dogs in touch with, with a pig who's actively shedding the virus. We've got lots of pigs, and, and sooner or later it's going to happen. Yeah. Well, like I said, and that's how it was brought to my attention, was uh, one of our – someone on Instagram had sent me a message saying, you know, we were out hog-dogging, and um, within 36 hours, the dogs that had come into contact with this certain hog had developed um, you know, respiratory issues, started vomiting, foaming at the mouth, convulsions, and uh, they died within two days. So um, yeah, kills them pretty yeah, quickly. Yeah, again, it does affect the central nervous system, and so um, their their diaphragms are going to be affected. They can't breathe. That's that's part of the reason they have the respiratory issues, and and it it is not pretty. Now, is this transmittable to humans? A billion dollar question. It is not. Uh, thankfully, this is one of the the pathogens that pigs have that is not zoonotic. Does not transmit to humans. All the others. Brucella, lepto, you know, influenza viruses, toxo—all of those things that pigs have are transmittable, but but pseudorabies is not. Okay, that's there's a good silver lining there. <laughs> um, as far as the domestic ranching community, does it jump into our uh, our livestock from time to time? Pseudorabies, no. Um, it, it might get into horses, but ruminants don't don't come down with it, and so we don't see it in cattle or sheep or goats or anything like that. There's other things that do, but uh, not not pseudo rabies uh, so much. Okay, and so uh, probably not white-tailed deer then either. That's correct. Okay, so no cure. Uh, it's just something to be aware of, and um, just be cautious with your dogs. Well, I certainly appreciate the insight today, and uh, we went through the gambit of, of who to contact and um, to have this discussion. Went back to Dr. Bob Dittmar from Texas Parks and Wildlife, and he sent me to the Texas Animal Health Commission. And finally, they said, you know what, uh, Mike would be the best person for this. So I'm certainly glad we were able to make it happen. Well, thanks for thinking of me. Thanks for the, to them for, for recommending us. We do a lot of wild disease surveillance in, in not just pigs, but in other wildlife. So if you've got any other questions on that, let us know. Yes, indeed. And if y'all want more information, um, you can find the Texas Wildlife Services website. It's part of the USDA Greater uh, website portal. Just search Texas Wildlife Services. It'll come up. Mike, thanks again for your time, and I look forward to uh, our next discussion. All right. Thank you, Cable. Bye-bye. All right. There he goes. Mike Bodenchuk, Director of Texas Wildlife Services. Uh, everything you need to know about pseudo-rabies and feral hogs. That segment of the presentation brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. Land is the one thing they're not making any more of, but we all want it. So if you're ready to take that plunge, to make that dream your reality, whether you want something for recreating, running cattle, hunting, fishing, or just to get the hell out of the big city, Lone Star Ag Credit has you covered. You can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. Up next, one of my favorite personalities in the outdoor industry makes his return to the show. Fred Eichler joins us right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Turn me loose.
set me free Somewhere in the middle of Montana Dallas Off-Road is North Texas' trusted 4x4 shop, specializing in lifts, wheels, tires, exterior upgrades, and gears and drivetrains. I recently took my factory Z71 Silverado into Dallas Off-Road, and they handed me back a lifted beast of a truck that will get me around the deer lease or just as easily tackle a perilous mountain road on my way to a backcountry elk hunt. Dallas Off-Road owner Jeff Swope is an avid hunter and gun enthusiast, so you'll have a lot to discuss when you swing by the shop or give them a call. Visit DallasOffRoad.com for all your truck or Jeep customization needs. Light as a prayer and then I feel myself fall. You've got to give me a minute Cause I'm way down in it And I can't breathe so I can't speak I want to be strong and steady Always ready now I feel so small, I feel so Capel Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Anxiety, one of my favorites from Jason Isbell, and I'm certainly having a bad case of anxiety these days, not knowing which hunts are actually going to take place. Will the Canadian border be open in October for a bear hunt? I don't freaking know, but it's a mess, and I certainly feel bad for all of the outfitters uh, everywhere, both domestically and, of course, Canada and certainly Africa. They've lost their entire summer, which is their winter over there. It's uh, it's bad, bad news for the hunting community. So, yeah, I know they're anxious. I'm certainly anxious. I imagine many of you have had to move or postpone or completely cancel hunting or fishing adventures as well. Uh, it's affecting everyone. But perhaps none more so than the guiding and outfitting uh, communities and, and tourism too. Um, so keep them in your thoughts and uh, try to support them in whatever way you can. Um, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by First Light and the new Zip Off Long Johns. That's right. Never take your boots off again. It's that easy. The Zip Off um, comes in three different weights made to match your pursuit. So whether you're chasing archery elk in September or you've got a late season rifle mule deer tag, whatever, uh, they've got the weight for each occasion. Check it out. It's the Zip-Off Long John available from First Light. Well, let's bring on our next guest. Uh, it's been a few years since we've had Fred on the show, but always a pleasure to visit with. And his enthusiasm for hunting and the outdoor lifestyle is uh, its contagious, to say the least. So, Fred Eichler, thanks for being here, man. Thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So, I do want to say uh, thanks to our, our mutual friends over at GSM Outdoors for connecting us because I certainly lost your phone number a couple cell phones ago, and that means it's been a minute since we visited. So, yeah, it's been it's been a few years. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I know life gets crazy, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm one of those guys who somehow have failed to uh, back up all his contacts like a normal person. So anyway. Uh... Uh, you and me are the same there. <laughs> bad life yeah. Well, I know that uh, you've been running and gunning, been to uh, Louisiana and, and California uh, here recently. What uh, what all of the 
What has the Eichler clan been up to? You know, you know we're, we're, we're crazy busy, but we love it. Uh, you know, like my wife says, we have a crazy life, but a blessed life. Um, we're uh, farming right now, so they're busy cutting hay and baling it. Um, you know, we also run some cattle, so the boys working on cattle. And then I've got uh, our middle son with a couple of the guides. They're in the field right now actually working on antelope blinds, getting ready for season. Mm, right on. And what, what were you guys doing in Louisiana? We had a blast. I took the whole family down, and uh, we went with the guys from Midnight Blue Bow Fishing, and we shot redfish, sheephead, drum, gar, a little bit of everything. Yeah, it was just, just a good time, you know, just, just doing some bow fishing and, and having fun. Us Texans cringe when people talk about uh, bow, bow fishing redfish, you know. And it's not that I have anything, uh, a problem with it. It's just like, here's our neighbor, Louisiana, and we totally, we manage our redfish fisheries extremely different you know <laughs> i know it's funny how the uh, state to state things can be so night and day different yeah. i mean it's, it's, it's unbelievable but you know they've been doing that forever and it doesn't seem to affect their their fishery so um why not yeah hey uh, you know i'm always a fan of it if it's legal knock yourself out yeah me too you know i, I figure there's all kinds of biologists and they you know we, we pay them to kind of figure that out and you know it seems to be just generally you know, over you know, across the whole United States, in general, wildlife management, you know, has has been a plus, and we've done a great job of, you know, not only bringing back, uh, you know, animals better than better than they were probably back in the day, uh, but also just managing it in general. Now, having said that, don't get me wrong, kid. Like I have I have a problem with some of the wolfy reintroduction. I have a issue with you know some of the predator management um, and things that people are doing. But in general, if I was to put a you know stroke it with a wide brush, I would say in general, been pretty good. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned the trained wildlife biologists doing a great job, but to expand on what you said, sometimes they're not allowed to do their job. Like in Colorado, where they are trying to, in your home state, where they're trying to reintroduce wolves through a ballot initiative. And that, uh, that actually is going to take place in November, uh, which just seems insane. And, and I've kind of had, uh, held, um, Colorado parks and wildlife to the, to the embers, asking them why they are not publicly commenting on this because i think in 2016 they tried to do the same thing fred and, and they did come out and say we oppose this but right now it's like they've got a gag order and they're anyone that works for colorado parks and wildlife is not allowed to uh to comment they they do have a gag order and it's, it's very frustrating and it's uh, i think a lot of it's political and i mm -hmm. think as you and me both feel no wildlife management decisions should be based on emotion or what somebody thinks is a good idea. Uh, it should be based on sound management practices. And whenever we start to manage wildlife, no matter what it is, whether it's predators, game animals, songbirds, any type of wildlife uh, based on emotion, um, then we might as well fire every wildlife biologist there is because we're not taking their advice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just like in New Jersey uh, where the governor has just – through his own abuse of power, banned black bear hunting on state land, which is just absolutely absurd. And now they have bear sightings going through the roof. Um, you know, it's, it, it makes no sense. So well, it's asinine, and yeah. there's some, there's, there's definitely some, you know, some things like that that I strongly disagree with. But I guess you know, my early point is that just you know, if I took it with a wide brush, wide brush, and just said, has it been good or bad? In general, I would say most wildlife management has been good. I definitely disagree with some things that CPW is doing. I definitely disagree with some other state management stuff. 
Uh, it's crazy to me, just like you pointed out. Even regulations, like you pointed out, state to state, from Texas to Louisiana, it's very difficult now to be a new hunter or even to be a hunter like you and I are and keep up with regulation. Yeah. You almost have to be an attorney to go through the Colorado um, Parks and Wildlife hunting regulations. I mean, it is confusing, you know, even for me and, and, and my wife. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can literally sometimes even ask a, a game warden and say, you know, hey, I, I need some clarification on this. And it's like, well, I'm going to have to double check that myself. And, and it's the same everywhere. I mean, I've been in Texas where county to county, you can shoot a bearded hen in one county, but you can in the next county. Yeah. How does, how does that work? Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, and, and one thing like, and this isn't a bad thing, but, uh, you know, I had to get a new muzzleloader just to take to Colorado because they don't allow scopes or inline muzzleloaders. Um, right. And I had a mule deer hunt there and I was like, I, I was getting my gun ready. And my buddy's like, you can't, you can't take that to Colorado. I was like, what, are you, what in the hell are you talking about? He's like, no, you can't use a scope. You have to use open sights. I was like, really? And sure enough, look it up. And yeah, uh, he did me a solid there because, you know, you don't want to ever be negligent and not know the, the regs, but it's just one of those things. It's like, well, I never would have thought that. I don't even think it's negligent. I, I really feel bad when when people get tickets that they don't that they aren't intentionally getting. Now, don't get me wrong. Guy's out there shooting deer at night while he's obviously doing something illegal. Yeah. But for some silly little thing, like guys that come to Colorado and didn't know because their home state allows them to have a light on their pins, and they come to Colorado and they can't have a light on their pins, or, mm. you know, like you said, a scope and a muzzle, it's very, very difficult to stay on top of regulations, especially for somebody that travels or is a, you know, a traveling hunter. It's just unreal. Yeah. Well, what I really uh, want to transition transition into now is uh, calling coyotes, and I have the uh, Western Rivers Eichler game call. Yes, sir. Yeah, which uh, which has proven to be the most reliable electronic calling system I've used, and I've tried Fox Pros and Burnham Brothers and some of the others, and you know I've run them through the gambit, and and this one, uh, and I'm not, I'm I'm pretty rough on them. I just throw them in the back of the truck and expect them to work covered in dust and beat up and this one just <laughs> keeps on ticking so when when will you transition back into predator hunting fred and you know i never really quit in texas because our pelts aren't worth anything regardless of whether we shoot them in august or february they're just they don't get furred up like they do up north um i imagine you're giving them a rest right now so when will you pick it back up man i don't really give them a rest buddy uh, yes i was just in texas, <laughs> just in texas myself two months ago when we were uh, calling it to shoot coyotes at you know, my wife told me she was uh, feeding cows just three days ago. And uh, she's like, yeah, we got a couple pups that have showed up uh, that are in the big oat field. Well, okay, perfect. You know, we've got fawns on the ground, and let's go trim those up. And those those fresh ones are easy to uh, – those those young ones are super easy to call in. Yeah. Not only are they fun, but you can also – it's a good time to manage them and keep them down. So I, I would say, one, I, I never really take a break. I, I enjoy it too much. And a lot of the ranches that I lease, for my outfitting business, which is the big game, you know, the antelope, the white tail, the mule deer, elk, bear, mm-hmm. all that. Part of the deal is, is that I do manage predators. So, you know, they kind of expect me to go out and keep them in check uh, to help protect their sheep or their goats or their calves and things like that. So, you know, we try and take that pretty serious and, and try to manage them all year uh, with the species that we can. Right on. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so what uh, what is your ideal setup for for calling coyotes? specifically and let's say you're hunting a place for the first time one that you're not real familiar with 
Um, yeah, I try not to go in totally blind. Uh, I like to go into a place in the daytime and scout it before I hunt it um, for a couple reasons. A lot of times I'll go thermal or night vision as well, uh, especially if the coyotes are getting hammered in an area, uh, whether it's public land or private. Uh, of course, you again, like we were talking earlier, you have to check regulations right. for night vision or thermal vision, but it can be a game changer on, on you know, especially pressured dogs. But as you brought up earlier, uh, you know, the Western Rivers call that I worked with them on, I recorded, I don't know if you know this, but I'm excited. I got to share it with you. I actually custom recorded a lot of those sounds. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So that was really important to me. I, I, you know, as you know, coyotes get educated really quickly. I mean, uh, you know, and you can, you know, you can do that just like a Pavlovian uh, response. I can train my dog to come in really quickly to a certain type of whistle or sound or yell or, you know, to come right in and do what I want him to do. Coyotes learn just like that really quickly. If you play the same sound, they get educated to it really fast. Well, I wanted to have not only some different sounds out there because a lot of people continually play the same sounds, but I wanted to have a, I wanted to have a wider variety. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. We got, you know, everything from all kinds of different small rodents and things like that. So, you know, different bird sounds and it, it's, uh, it's worked out really well for us. And that call, making it super easy to run because obviously we're both not very technologically <laughs> say the word. I, I never can say that word, but whatever, I shouldn't even attempt it, but we're not good with technology. There we go. I'll say it. Yeah. Um, with our cell phones or calls, I like ones that are easy to use that I can run with big, large gloves on when it's cold. But to get back to your question for a setup, um, I like to take a look at the area, uh, you know, looking for tracks, looking for scat, getting a feel for where I want to set up and what kind of distance shot I'm going to have. Um, I hunt predominantly with a rifle. Yeah. Uh, I go back and forth between a bolt and an AR. Um, I shoot suppressed in whatever state I can where it's legal because I think that gives me a huge advantage. Um, but once I have my setup and, and have a feel for what the wind's doing, uh, you know, my big thing is, uh, you know, based on my scouting, which is, again, looking looking for tracks, looking for signs, talking to ranchers and farmers, uh, too, uh, always seems to help out. Like, you know, we always see coyotes working this brush line or, you know, I'm dropping calves right now and, you know, they're out there cleaning up the afterbirth or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll try and set up. Mornings for me are way more successful than evenings. Uh, and most of the coyote guys I know are, you know, have the same results. Either at night or morning seems to be the best way to go. Yeah. Uh, and I'll go out in the morning and, you know, I'll try. If I think it's a place that's never been called, uh, then I'll try some of the more standard or the go-to calls like the, you know, a rabbit or, you know, possibly pup in distress or some vocalizations, depending on what time of year it is. Uh, but there's so many variables to that. You know, is it, yeah. is it super, if it's super cold, well, I'm going to play a food, you know, I mean, a food attractant. If it's, uh, you know, February or March, depending on what area of the country I'm in and they're starting to pair up, well, then I'm going to go with, you know, some vocalizations, maybe a puppy in distress or, you know, a challenge howler, things like that. Um, I'm starting to use decoys more and more. I've got a, a new Montana song dog I've been using that's got a real, well, I say real, it's a faux, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. You know, it's a big, big fur tail, but it looks real. Um, and if the wind's blowing even a little bit, that tail's flipping around, it it looks awesome. And I've had some, some dogs that I think normally would hang up or areas that we've called a lot that see the decoys, whether it's just a moving decoy or a turkey feather on a string, and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. 
you know, or an you know, electronic decoy or in conjunction with this, you know, decoy, it, it can really, it can trigger them and make them just come running right now. So this is more of like a full body coyote decoy? It, it's not. It's just a two dimensional, you know what I mean? It's, it's lightweight, so I can throw it in my pack. Uh-huh. And, you know, it flips, flips together. But I just throw it in there and it doesn't work at all times. And you can intimidate a dog sometimes with a decoy because if you have a, an immature coyote or just a, you know, not a dominant dog, it'll see a decoy and be like, ooh, uh oh, I better take off. Yeah. And, and you won't, you know, get certain dogs. So it's only, it's something I only use certain times. Uh, but when it's the right time and, and you use it and during the breeding season, it can be great. Um, you know, after they're having pups, it can be great. Man, I, I do have some luck with that. So I do like playing with the decoys, but I try and give them as much reason to come in as I can. I try and pull their ears, you know, with my with my call, the electronic call. I put it out in front of me uh, anywhere from 20 yards to 100 yards, depending on the situation. So they're focused on the call and, you know, less apt to see my movement. Mm-hmm. Once I get a broadside shot as they're coming into the call, I'm very cognizant of the, you know, the sun and the wind. Um, I don't want that sun in my eyes. I'd much prefer it be in their eyes. Um, mm-hmm. So I try and set up that way, you know, so it's, uh, you know, it's going to be to my advantage. I like to stay in the shadows. Just anything that will help keep me from getting spotted. Um, I'm pretty anal about full camo and nothing that's going to really reflect, you know what I mean, hard. Yeah. Because when I'm, when I'm shooting coyotes, I, I sell hides, and I grew up selling furs and trapping. So, you know, missing one coyote, man, I may not pay for my gas money. You know what I mean? That day. Yeah. So it was really important for me to get every single one I I could. <laughs> so when you're selling furs for money, it's uh that's a lot of work, but it's also you don't want anything to get away. So I do those little bitty things that you know may only make a difference on one dog out of twenty, but uh, hey, that's that's one more coyote. And who knows how many fawns saved? Fred, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, I'll continue to pick your brain on all things predator hunting. Sound good? All right, buddy. Perfect. That segment brought to you by Lone Star Beer and the new Rio Hade Mexican-style lager. We'll be right back with more from Fred Eichler on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Hey guys, Cable here for Coon Stopper. If you're tired of losing corn or protein to those pesky raccoons, well, here's your solution. If you're running a traditional feeder that has, you know, those long legs that coons like to climb up, rob you blind, well, you just attach the Coon Stopper to each leg. It's so easy. I just put one on a 300-pound all-seasons feeder, and (laughs) the results speak for themselves. Coons don't like it. They basically attempt one time, realize that it hurts, and they're done. Throw in the towel, just like that. It's the Coon Stopper, and you can find it at alamooutdoorworld.com. Hi, Brett Jepson here with Three Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices, so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at threecurl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. Crossing my mind like these white rock rules. 
is the latest from our buddy Zane Williams, his new band, Hill Country. And that one is Palomino Gold. Check them out. He started it with uh, another great singer-songwriter in his own right, Paul Eason. A uh, big fan of what they're doing. I'm Cable Smith, by the way. This is the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We are still visiting with Fred Eichler here today. Uh, before we continue our predator hunting conversation, though, this segment is brought to you by Pulsar and the new Helion 2.0 thermal monocular. If you like the original Helion, uh, this one is the next step in the evolution of thermal technology. And, and the Helion itself has been my favorite monocular of all time. The 2.0 is incredible. The clarity is mind-blowing. Uh, of course, it's got all the functions that you've come to know and love from Pulsar. Uh, internal recording, all that good stuff. You can find it at PulsarNV.com. All right. Well, let's pick it back up here with Fred Eichler. You know, Fred, before the break, we were talking about your setup. What do you do to make sure you put as much fur on the ground as possible? These days, I rarely head out without some kind of solid rest and even taking it a step farther than the traditional bipod. I mean, things tend to get Western when you... You don't have a good rest, and that's not always a good thing. I know guys that can shoot amazingly offhand. I am not one of them. No, me neither. I, I can't. I mean, I want to rest. I, you know, with a rest, man, I'll tell you, I feel like I'm pretty deadly, and I'll, I'm comfortable competing against dang near anyone if I've got a solid rest. But I don't even like the bipods anymore, and I don't know if that's because uh, you know I'm getting a little older, or or just that I, I don't like uh, taking an, an iffy shot ever. And a tripod gives me a platform uh, I use that fog death grip now and, and literally I can go hands free my gun still pointed up you know it just gives me less movement and yeah. then I can pivot in a 360 with it on a stable platform so for a running shot you know multiple dogs that come in I'm super comfortable and I, not bragging but I have a really high percentage on a running coyote just because I've done it a lot and I feel really good about a running shot if I have that stable platform. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much my main thing. You know, just a, a rifle I'm super comfortable with, low recoil, uh, so I can make those quick follow-up shots. Uh, you know, a solid rest, you know, full camo, electronic call, playing the wind, you know, so they so they don't get them. I also, you know, I'm, I, those little bitty things like the one out of 20, you know, I use some lures. I use some Tongue Quest scent. I worked with those guys on a rabbit and even a coyote scent um, that really helps out. I'll put that on my decoy. I'll put that in my boots when I walk out because if a, you know, if a coyote cuts your scent as he's running into your call, man, they'll flop ends and haul, as you know. Mm -hmm. So what about elevation? Are you, if there is some elevation change, trying to get up high, you know, maybe up on a hill, but still not obviously being skylined? Yeah, and again, that varies on location. I mean, sometimes I'm going to go, you know, if I'm hunting coyotes in Florida or Georgia or Alabama, uh, even parts of Texas, a lot of times I'm going to take advantage of a Sendero or a two-track. And, yeah, I'll try and get on the high side of it when I can for visibility, um, you know, just to, just to have that – to see them wherever I can see them. I like using the call in the wind to try and put them where I, where I want them to be. Mm -hmm. But visibility is key, and I try and take advantage of any type of terrain, any natural funnels, rivers, thick brush, cliffs, mountains, uh, you know, highways, you know, I've used all kinds of natural, um, you know, obstructions or, you know, whatever you want to call them that'll help funnel them in. Like, I know that coyote's not going to cross that active highway, 
um, I know they're going to come along this side and, you know, the wind's blowing toward the highway, so it eliminates them from being able to circle around and win me. They're going to come in at this angle, odds are, mm-hmm. you know, little things. It's those little, uh, you know, I tell guys a lot, the difference between success and not, you know, having success is not one huge thing. It's a whole bunch of those tiny little things that may only make a 5% difference. But if I have 20 of those, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's 100%, right? I'm not good at math, but I, it's, it's, it's those little 5% things, and that may be the scent. That may be setting up the call in the right location. You know, to your point, it may be that little bit of elevation. It may be a solid rest. So you're going to, you know, if the coyote does come in, you're going to get the shot. I, I have cameramen that give me a hard time all the time. I'll spend as much time picking the right spot to sit down and call as I will calling. And they're like, man, you know, why are you moving again? You know, and I, you know, cause I'm looking at it. And I'm looking at, at this and that. I'm like, well, we have one come in. They're like, my gosh, you know, just let's set up a call. And I'm like, no, <laughs> we're not going <laughs> to this. You know, I want to look here and I want to look there and I want to know that, you know, but, you know, does this river have water over here? Is it not dry? Is it dry? Are they coming in from here? It's those little tiny things that I think make a huge difference and, and lend themselves to my success. Mm-hmm. So how many minutes will you run the same vocalization before changing it if, if nothing's responded? Um, great question. Um, and a, a lot of that depends on, again, as you know, so many variables. Am I hunting in snow where the call's not carrying as far um, or rain? Um, you know, is it is it thick a thick treed area where I know the call is not carrying as far, or, or am I out on the prairie in Wyoming or you know what I mean, South Dakota, where it's going to carry a real long ways? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, that varies for me set to set. Uh, but if I was to give you a real rough average, um, if I'm in wide open country uh, where I know that call is carrying a really long ways, um, I may go 30 minutes uh, before changing the call, and then only change it. Um, for 15 minutes, like, man, if this hasn't called one in, uh, I may try and flip their trigger with this, but I'm only going to give them another 15 minutes to come running in. Cause it's going to be one that, you know, probably has already heard the other call and hasn't reacted. Mm-hmm. So if this one doesn't flip his trigger and cause him to just barrel in, then it's not going to work. And I've had so many circumstances. We even videoed. Do you have a minute for me to tell a real cool story about Nebraska? Oh, of course. Okay, I got to tell you one that really opened my eyes. Unfortunately, it was a long time ago, but I went to Nebraska to call coyotes, and the rancher said, "Man, I, you know, we got a bunch of coyotes. I'd really love you to come out. You know, they're they're busting the turkeys, they're busting a lot of small game, and you know, pheasants and things like that." And I said, "No problem." So I called him up, and I didn't have a long conversation. I just said, "Hey, I'm coming out." And he said, "Great." I went out, and I set up in this real thick draw. And I thought, man, nobody, this guy wants me out there. So obviously nobody's been calling. So I set up, we had a real hillside location looking down to a thick little creek bottom, but we had good visibility. We got in there, wind was in our face. We crested through the trees, so nothing silhouetted us. We got set up and I'm like, man, there could be a dog sleeping 50 yards away and he'll have no idea we're here. This should be, this is literally the perfect setup. I flip, I flip on the call with a rabbit. You know, it's actually uh, jackrabbit distress because I like that sound a lot of times out west just because it carries too. Uh-huh. So I, I put that sound on and three coyotes bust out of the bottom about 150 yards away and they're running away from us. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I'm like, what in the heck? And my cameraman's video, I'm like, what is going on? There was no way they came up close and spotted us and spooked. 
the, they didn't win this. I knew they hadn't seen us. I'm like, the only thing that is making these coyotes run away is they've heard this sound. Mm-hmm. The, the, the rabbit distress is scaring them. Now, he's videoing, and we're discussing. These coyotes run out to about 600 yards. They stop on the ridge. And my caravan, Jake's like, shoot one of them rascals. Because they had stopped. And I'm like, man, that's a long shot. You know what I mean? And a lot of times I'm comfortable with that. But I'm like, no, let's. I'm going to switch up the call. So I shut off the call. And they're standing there, and they're looking around, and they're nervous. They've already run, you know, a few hundred yards get away from us. And they're standing up on the ridge, and I flip it over to a puppy in distress. Flip on the puppy in distress, and it was the craziest thing. And I'm so glad we got a video because all the coyotes perk up. They spin. They're looking our direction towards the call, and they run as fast as they ran away down the hill and right into the call. <laughs> now, this would be a badass story if I could tell you I shot all three of them. Right. They came running in as fast as they could run. I tried to stop them. I ended up shooting one at 50 yards. The other one's just scattered, and I did not get another shot. But I shot one. You know, I was one for one on, on my shots. But the difference there blew me away. So I literally loaded up. We got the coyote. We got all our gear. We drove over. I said, let's go to the rancher's house. i got to see if he's been calling or somebody's been calling. I, I really, This is really interesting to me. We go over, and he goes, oh, man. Yeah, he said, last weekend I had some kids from town out here. Man, I want anybody that can come, and you haven't been able to come lately. So, yeah, I told them they could come, and they called all over the place, and they said they got some shots, but they didn't kill a coyote. Oh, man. Like, I'm like, there you go. So I've seen that repeat itself a lot, but just a story there that tells you it's amazing to me. They can learn so quickly, and I think a lot of guys, in places I've hunted like the Midwest or Florida, Georgia, Alabama, you know, out east, you know, even California, where guys think that nobody's called the property. And maybe they haven't. Maybe a guy has 200 acres and he's like, nobody's called it. It's going to be amazing. And he goes out and the coyotes never come in, but he doesn't see what happens because he, he doesn't have the visibility that we do a lot of times in the West. Yeah. And he doesn't, and he doesn't know that the coyotes were there. But they had heard a call and they ran away. Yeah, or two hundred acres. Maybe the the neighbor educated them. You never know. Well, exactly. That's yeah. what I mean. A lot of people think that oh man, they've never been called. They 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 won't react, and that was exactly why because their neighbor or the neighbor yeah. on the other side called, and you know that coyote heard a whole bunch of calls just down on that specific two hundred acres or, mm-hmm. or fifty acres. I get that a lot. I love guys go, man, I got fifty acres. If you come and call, it's never been called. It should be good. And you're like, well, all right, I'll. I'll come call, and when I do that, I'll have luck. Another quick story, I know I've got a bunch, but a buddy of mine, Tim Huffman, lives in Iowa, and he had been calling and calling, and he told me, man, I, I don't know what's going on. I'm just not calling these coyotes in Iowa, and, you know, Fred, I, 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 I'd love you to come, but we've been calling not, not having any success. And I said, all right. And I literally was out there like a week after they had called with no success, him and his buddy. And me and my cameraman went out, and this place I did call blind. I didn't know it really well at all. And so we went out, set up in a little meadow, and uh, I played a turkey in distress. And two coyotes came running in, and I shoot one of those. The other one gets into the trees. But then we go to another setup along a cornfield. I call in another coyote. We shoot that one. We go back to my buddy's late that morning, and he goes, how'd you do? I said, man, I called two in. You know, we called three in. And he's like, you have got to be kidding. And he looked at me and he's like, Fred, what, what, what did you do? What, why, why would they come in for you? And I, 
Gil, I literally looked at him and I said, man, I'm just that good. And he goes, come on, man. What happened? I, I looked at him. I said, did you play a rabbit distress? And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, I didn't. And he looked at me. He's like, why? What do you mean? I said, they're educated to the rabbit distress. I said, you just told me that you and Chuck had been out there playing a rabbit distress and not calling them in. I said, you've got turkeys here. I said, so I went with a turkey in distress call. I played the volume really low. A lot of people, I would say 90% of predator callers play the volume too loud hmm. as well. It doesn't sound natural. But I went with a call that those guys had never heard, and they came in just like it was a brand-new call they had never heard. They played by the rules. I think this is uh, probably the thing that I'll take away the most from this conversation is um, because I do live in an urban area, uh, and when I hunt coyotes around here, chances are they've probably been called before. Um, so I'm going to switch it up and play something a little more outside the box. And, and that leads me to my next question. What sound would you play if you were in an area with a myriad of predator species like uh, bobcats, coyotes, fox? Even I even saw you, uh, and this is why I'm asking this, I saw you call a badger in on a recent uh, YouTube video, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, we have a lot of fun calling different stuff in, and I love that. It, Colorado's real unique because I've got red fox, gray fox, swift fox, coyote, bobcat, badger, uh, you know, uh, 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 raccoons. I've got everything here. Yeah. And then, of course, I like to travel, so I get to play with a lot of different species. Um, but, you know, a, a lot of times I'll target or play things that will call in any animal. And a lot of times I'll play something that, well, I know only a coyote will come into this because I'm playing a calf ball, for example, and a bobcat's not going to run in and kill a calf, Yeah, you know, for example. Uh, but, man, we're dropping calves, or our neighbors are dropping calves. Uh, this calf ball, I'm only targeting coyotes with. But a calf ball is a great one for a different sound for coyotes. But back to your question of if I want to call in anything and I want to target, I'm in an area where I know there's a lot of different predators and I want to target all of them. That's when I'm going to go with rodent sounds squirrel sounds. I'm going to go with smaller animals, um, you know, predatory animals that even a small swift fox, gray fox, red fox, coyote, bobcat knows that it can come in and, and harvest. Mm -hmm. Well, in, in that video for the, uh, the badger that I watched, you actually played a bird. Uh, yeah. Bird sounds. I mm -hmm. love bird sounds. That's, yeah. I mean, those smaller rodents, bird sounds I have a lot of success with, but back, I'm sorry. I'm, I get excited when I start talking. About <laughs> I love it. Stuff. I love it. <laughs> but but back to like the the legality of things here's a crazy one for you i was in alabama a few years ago literally called the game warden had him come over i'm like hey want to be calling coyotes bobcats you know a bunch of stuff you guys have here hey anything i need to know legality wise blah blah blah. i'm using electronic call oh yeah you're fine using legality you know you're fine using electronic call you can do this you can do that blah 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 we're chatting and then as he starts to go he's like oh well you can't play any bird sounds what? And, I, you know, and I'm like, I literally, I'm like, what? Yeah, you can play your electronic call, but you can't play a bird sound. I said, you have got to be kidding me. That's a law in Alabama. Huh. And it was. You, wow. I would have called in a bobcat and shot it with a bird sound, woodpecker in distress, or what a parakeet, whatever. I could have been given a ticket. Can you believe that? That's incredible. Some of these laws just are so, just the minutiae of them is in, incredible. Um well, there's a prime example of I love I love bird sounds, but man, it's a it's a it's a hunter beware because yeah. I would have not intentionally broken the law. I would have just been doing what you can do in I think pretty much every other state that allows you to use a predator right, or right. electronic one. 
but this was illegal there. Sure as heck, when I put it on the TV show or YouTube, somebody that do that would have said, uh-uh, can't do it. Yeah, the majority of game laws pretty much make sense to me. <laughs> that one is in that category of things that are just absurd. Um, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll discuss Fred's favorite caliber and uh, also bullet selection, among other things. That segment, by the way, proudly brought to you by the new Fusion wireless cell camera from StealthCam, our good friends over at StealthCam. Uh, this is the most affordable wireless camera that StealthCam's ever put out. It's the Fusion. I just picked up two of them. Excited about putting those out at the deer lease. Check it out. Uh, data plans are so affordable these days as well, so it's not costing you your firstborn child to uh, to get that monthly service which is also available right there on the stealth cam website super easy user-friendly all-encompassing it's the fusion you can find it at stealthcam.com we'll be right back with more from fred eichler on the lone star outdoor show Hey guys, Cable here for QuietCat, the leader in e-bikes made specifically for overlanding, hunting, fishing, and remote access to the great outdoors. QuietCat provides outdoor enthusiasts a means of portable, low-impact transportation while providing you with the most reliable product on the market. I own a QuietCat, and it has surpassed all my expectations. It's an amazing machine that stealthily gets me wherever the hunting or fishing adventure takes me. Based out of Eagle, Colorado, QuietCat is able to put all of their products to the test, making sure your e-bike is built to last. Visit QuietCat.com or call 970-328-2399 for more info. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Head to church on Sunday, forgiveness for our sins. Walk back to the house just to make some more again. Mama whispered, boy, I'm watching what you do. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. That's Matt and the Herdsman for you. The name of that one. A great tune there. Thanks so much for being here, guys and gals. It is a treat to be talking all things outdoors with you. And today we're focusing on calling those song dogs with our old pal Fred Eichler. And this segment of the show is brought to you by John X Safaris. July 25th, 2021 is the date for next summer's trip if you want to be a part of that still a couple spots open we've got a great group of guys going with me some who've been before on our previous trips uh, but yeah planes game dangerous game it's all there for the taking whatever you want to hunt it is truly your custom safari shoot me an email lone star outdoor show at gmail.com if you want to be part of the uh, john x trip this summer and that's to uh, south africa's eastern cape beautiful part of the country um all right well fred appreciate you sticking around through the break let's uh let's talk about caliber selection we all have our favorites for predator hunting i was partial to the uh, 22 250 until i gave it to henry now that's his so i'm uh, i'm back to a 223 what about you 
I sell furs, so uh, I I really like a 223 with a Hornady 53 grain VMAX. Those are great uh, rounds, yeah. Oh, they were designed for predators. Mm-hmm. There's very few uh, bullets that were actually worked on by engineers and designed uh, by them to to do exactly what I want, and that's expand super quickly and dissipate so it doesn't blow out the other side. Yeah. And I got to go to Hornady and shoot those in ballistic gel and do all kinds of experimentation and, and stuff on that round specifically. And to me, there's not a better round. Now, don't misunderstand me. Is a 17, you know, there's, there's, I've shot coyotes and bobcats and stuff with 17s and, and rimfire and centerfire and, you know, 204s and, you know, you name it. I, I probably plinked with it, you know, different, you know, I, matter of fact, I just got that brand new six millimeter arc that Hornady mm. came up with that's in an AR platform. Uh, I think it's, oh, I can't remember. It's a 108 grain bullet, I believe. Uh, but I just got an AR set up with that last week. And we were shooting, you know, out to 800 yards. And I think that's going to be an awesome cartridge um, for predators and also some small game. I'm just a little worried about that bigger bullet giving me an exit. So I, I can't tell you on that. But yeah. because I sell furs and I don't want damage, um, man, a 204 to me is a little light. Um, you know, same with a 17. They'll kill a coyote, but you can put a double lung shot on one. You don't have to trail them, you know, or follow them up. 70 yards, 80 yards. Um, 22, 250 is great. It'll anchor them on the spot. Looks great for, you know, dropping them instantly. But I almost always have an exit that I'm having to sew up, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially on a smaller animal. But that, that 53 VMAX, man, I, I rarely, you know, sometimes I'll have them exit a bobcat. But if I choose the right shot, man, I don't even have to sew up a bobcat. So it's a perfect round. Well, so what is the ideal shot placement? Because uh, I, I took a, uh, I went, I did a thermal stand and got some footage of me shooting the first coyote, dropped him. The second one, he was on the run and, and uh, you know, I shot him way far back and someone commented on the Instagram. They were like, on the video, like, what a terrible shot. Where did, were you trying to shoot him in the ass? I was like, I was trying to shoot him in the coyote. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I say. I was trying to shoot the coyote, and that's exactly where I hit it. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you know, it's kind of like feral hogs at night. I mean, do we want to make an ethical shot? Of course. And on the first one, we always do. And it usually drops right there. But then it's like all hell breaks loose, and, you sh- you know, we take shots on the run. And there's an art to it. If, you're, if, you, if you've done it a lot, uh, you can be very proficient at it. Oh, I'm with you. I'd have been tickle pink with that shot. And we... Heck, when, in Texas, when I was there with my buddy, uh, oh, I guess, month and a half, two months ago, whenever that was, we uh, we called in five at one set, and we killed three of them. And I was I was upset, my buddy, super guy, but it was the first coyote he'd ever he'd ever shot actually. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and he, uh, you know, if he if he'd got another, he shot when they were still about 150 yards running into us. And oh I'm wow! Like, I wasn't even ready. He was set up about 30 yards, 40 yards from me, and I'm like, oh, we got all five of these. We're wide open field, and. Uh, when he shot, I wasn't—I literally didn't even have a crosshair on a coyote. I was just enjoying watching him run in, and all of a sudden, a shot rang out. And I'm like, "What?" So he got one, I got two, but you know, we got three out of five. But yeah, you know, both two of the running shots, we had to put another one in. But yeah, I, you know, I take the shot I have. Uh, again, understand that my my predator hunting, I'm trying to a get a fur on the ground, uh, you know, so I can you know I can sell that that fur, and that's the way I was 
you know, I, I, I came up selling first, so it's hard to get that mentality out. Yeah. I, wanna, I want an animal on the ground. Two, I do a lot of um, damage control, trapping um, and damage control shooting. And, uh, you know, I, I would argue with anybody that me shooting a coyote, um, you know, back in the ponch or even in the hindquarter and then following up and then making another shot is way more humane than that coyote uh, taking a fawn down and eating it from the back end while it's still alive. Mm. So, you know, you know, I, I just saved a, a whole bunch of other animals from having a horrific, a horrific death uh, that would be way worse than that coyote uh, taking two rounds, even if the first one that slowed him or stopped him was too far back. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to convince me, obviously. I'll just oh, shoot, yeah. shoot him in the coyote. Uh, <laughs> What uh, what percentage of the time do you get busted due to a coyote not doing what you thought it would? And I'll give you an example. Uh, this spring was turkey hunting, struck out on the on the toms, got the uh, the Western Rivers your call out there, and fired it up. I don't remember what sound I was playing. I think it was a, it was a rabbit, but um, I was overlooking this creek and this this drainage at my deer lease. I knew for sure the coyote would come out of that bottom. We came in from open pasture land just over my shoulder. I, I turned to look to the right, and there he is standing looking at me at 20 yards, and I try to get my tripod squared up on him, and, of course, he bolts, and that was the end of it. Um, so how often does that does that happen to you after all the, after all the years of experience? Yeah, still happens. Drives um, you crazy, but, yep, it still happens. Uh, I'd say it doesn't happen as much because, again, I, you know, I, I get brushed in so much, and I put that call in that – decoy out in front of me so much that normally i can get away with a lot of movement because of where i'm sitting mm-hmm. you know you know back in the brush in the trees um and i've got two guys to worry about i've got a cameraman almost always with me so you know i tell guys man you know it's one thing for me to slip out and just go rogue and, and start killing coyotes you know put, to put them down and sell first it's a whole nother thing when i've got a whole nother you know a whole nother person, twice as much scent, twice as much movement, and a big camera lens uh, that looks like a big giant eyeball. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, to try and hide, I have to, to really, you know, brush in or really take advantage of the shadows and really take advantage of that sun um, and knowing that, man, one can run in and it's going to have a hard time seeing both of us because if I have a coyote come in where I'm not expecting to, not only do I have to move and pivot, my cameraman has to move and pivot. So that that's where having that call out far enough away to where they don't even see me. And and it happens way more with a mouth call. Um, I get busted way, and I still switch back and forth. I still use a mouth call sometimes. I think a e-call is way more efficient, yeah. but I'll switch and use mouth calls. And with the mouth call, because the sound is coming right where you're at, um, I get tougher shots because they're almost always straight on or quarter and two. Um, and I also get a lot, uh, busted a lot more because they're focused on where that sound is coming from, uh-huh. uh, you know, and not 40 yards or 80 yards in front of me, like with the e-call. Yeah. Well, as we're, as we're wrapping up here, Fred, are there any special or unique features on that Western rivers, you know, aside from the actual calls that you actually generated for a lot of those? Um, but are there any things that, that you implemented specifically when you're helping design this call? Yeah. And I'm so glad you asked that. So, so many times I've been running other calls and I've run all the ones on the market uh-huh. where I was like, man, it's taken me so long to turn down this volume. You know, like I'd have a coyote that would be coming in from 
half a mile and I didn't want the volume up as loud because I wanted to suck him in really close for the video aspect or a bobcat that's coming in. And naturally, if you've heard, you know, rabbits or seen rabbits die in the field or watch coyotes, I mean, I've got video of coyotes killing rabbits in the field uh-huh. sitting in tree stands. It starts out really loud. Yeah, yeah, you know, that, that rabbit is screaming. And then as the coyote kills it and as it dies, it goes lower, you know, and, and, and it just reduces in volume. Well, I, with other calls, I always wanted a quick reduce the volume. So one of the things I'm most proud of with that new Western Rivers call, that my, the signature call that I did, whether it's the single speaker or the double speaker, is I made a button. It's a large button. You hit it one time, and it reduces the volume by 50%. Yeah. If you hit it again, it reduces the, whatever volume that was by 50%. So I can instantly, I've got run, animals running in, instead of mashing a button 15 times or 20 times, you know, trying to reduce the volume and more movement, and me having to hold the call longer and then put it down and go to my gun, I can hit one button and it reduces it by 50%. So on top of all the other cool features, we implemented like the large buttons, the super easy menu, the super easy remote, that 50% reduction volume button is a game changer. For yeah. calling in predators and getting them in close. Yeah, and I have gotten to uh, use that function. It's uh, it's probably my favorite thing on on that call. Uh, it's so it's so important, like you said, fumbling around, especially with gloves on, and you're trying to turn the volume down one punch at a time while coyotes coming in is uh, it's a great way to get busted or screwed up. Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. That to me was like. And you know how it is. I mean, it's so neat to design something and go, man, this would help me and others. And I'll be honest, I was kind of, I was thinking about myself more than other people. Right. (laughs) I was like, what could, what do I want to call for me to kill other coyotes? And and that's what it did. And so then that, you know, anybody that grabs that, it's like, I get tons of calls and it's awesome. I got buddies that are, you know, not only predator hunters and, and damage control guys that are like, man, that thing's really helping me whack dogs that's so cool that you put that out there. And I'm like, well, it was for me. It wasn't for you, but I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, it's working out for you too. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hey, um, you've certainly been generous with your time. It's been great reconnecting after, uh, quite a few years here, but, uh, still want to give you the opportunity to plug any TV shows or, you know, also your social. So folks can follow you. Just go ahead and lay it all down for us. Well, thanks, buddy. You know, we, we have a TV show on the Sportsman's Channel called Everything Eichler, and it, it breaks down everything from the predator hunting we do, whether it's lion, bear, coyote, bobcat, you know, all, all that stuff, um, you know, as well as kind of our lifestyle. Uh, the other thing, we have a YouTube channel that, that I'm really proud of. We're, we're putting more and more predator stuff, how to skin. I, I show guys how to take care of those pelts after they drop the animal. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I have a fan page. We have a Twitter and both a fan page on Facebook and Instagram uh, that we put stuff up on. So, so thanks a lot, man, and I love what you're doing. Keep doing it, and uh, you need to come out here, and we'll go predator hunting sometime. I'll take you up on it. I uh, I appreciate the time. All right, buddy. Great talking to you again, and sorry I get excited. I started talking <laughs> about predators. I, get all, I think I that's get all the, that's what every, why everyone gravitates towards you. Is it doesn't matter if it's a, you know, a, a white-tailed doe or a, a 350-inch bull. You still get excited about it all. Oh, yeah, I love it, man. Absolutely love it. All right, buddy. Well, hey, thanks again, Fred. Take care. Have a great day. So there he goes. Fred Eichler, truly an infectious passion for hunting, regardless of what he's pursuing, which uh, I absolutely love. Uh, That segment of the presentation brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. 
Josh and Becky have been taking care of all my trophy mounts, whether that's a coyote, bobcat, uh, mountain lion, wolf, and wolverine, lynx, you name it. Those are just the predators. Uh, they do amazing work with fast turnaround time. Answer the phone when you call, and you can find them at gr the number eight mounts.com. That's gr the number eight mounts.com. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time. Gotta go. Gotta get out of here. Thanks to both of our guests. Mike Bodenchuk, as well as Fred. Um, we will be back with a brand new show next week. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of today's presentation. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. When I'm gone, I'll be remembered as a working man that put his point across. With a right hand full of knuckles, cause today I show old Oni who's the ball.